Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. Now sit back and enjoy. Lord, whatever we've been dealing with, whatever we came here with, whatever obstacles, Lord, we simply lay them at your feet. We lay every distraction, every opposition, every challenge, we lay it at your feet and we let it get really small and you become really big. Lord, we ask for perspective shift. If you've become small and our problems have become big, our obstacles have become big, Lord, I thank you that you are mighty. You are sovereign. You are all-knowing. We stand in reverence of your presence. We don't come at it casually. We come at it recognizing your holiness, your majesty, the wonder of who you are, the wonder, God, that you can do all things. Everything good comes from you, and if it's not good, then it's not done yet. You're not done if it's not great, if it's not amazing, if it doesn't have transformation, if it doesn't carry your fruit. You're not done writing it. So, Lord, I just pray an infusion of hope right now. I pray an infusion of your, of your faith right now. That we take you for who you are. We believe you and we believe your word. We recognize, God, who you are. You're the king of kings, the great I am. You're our defender. You're our advocate. You're Baal Perizim, Lord of the breakthrough. You're our refuge. You're our strong tower. You're our joy. You're our hope. You're our peace. You're the rose of Sharon with this beautiful fragrance. You're Jehovah Rapha, our healer. You're El Shaddai, you're Shalom. We call on Yahweh, who you are. Lord, we worship you, we exalt you. As we were just singing moments ago, we exalt you because of who you are, because you're so worthy. God, I pray you get so big today. <laughs> And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, you get so big. And everything else gets really small. Because I heard today there's a perspective shift that's going to happen today. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. You can be seated if you want. Or you can say standing, do whatever you feel led by the Lord. What I love with Gail and Gary, there is freedom. Right? Who's grateful for just amazing leaders that have just rallied the region and beyond? And as Sean was preaching last night, I was like, those are two people that smell water. I was like, I feel like we need to get you a picture of an elephant. 
right? Here's two elephants that have smelled water. And for those of you that weren't here last night, I felt like that's that illustration that Sean, who, 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 who grabbed that? I mean, to me, that was just such a powerful picture of that when elephants smell water, all it takes is one elephant to smell the water. It's not necessarily a tribe. It's not a herd of elephants. It takes one elephant to get one whiff of water. And what does it do? It begins to stomp. And that stomp beckons, alerts, rallies the other elephants to come and join in the digging for the water. And they get in a circle. It's so powerful the way God created elephants. They get in a circle and with their weight, (laughs) right? They got some weight to them. Well, we got some weight in the spirit, right? So you take that weight and they begin to stomp. And that stomping actually breaks open the ground and accesses water that wasn't visible, but was always accessible. See, I think so many times we wait for what we see is visible until we believe it's accessible. But what I love is the elephants get a scent and they know what's not visible is still accessible. And I believe in this hour, God's saying, don't wait for what you see. Don't wait for what you are looking at in the natural. I feel like never before have I felt the Lord prompt me to not be led by what I see in the natural, but to truly be led by the spirit. Because it doesn't matter what report comes my way. It doesn't matter what stat is heard. There is a resolve within me for revival that says, God, I don't care what's going on in the natural. I know what you've prophesied over America. I know what you've prophesied over our region. And even for us in California, I don't care how crazy it gets in California. I know we're in Illinois, but can I just, can I just contend for a well in my own state right now, right? That God has wells all over the nation. And I felt like as Sean was preaching last night, he was prophesying. And he was prophesying the well that's in the state of Illinois. When I was with you in September, I reminded some of you, and many of you already knew, but for some of you that didn't know, there's so many prophetic words that have been declared and decreed in years past, in decades past. There is such revival history in the state of Illinois. Who knows that? And I feel like oh, this gathering is a redigging of a well that is already there. It's already accessible. And we have some water sniffers in the room that are like, I smell it. I smell you, Holy Spirit. You're on the move right now. And I want you to know, I believe what God's did last night, this morning, what he's going to do this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Don't miss any of it. And I don't say that simply for hype. I say that because there's a digging of a well that's taking place this weekend. I I just believe that this region will never be the same. And again, we can fall into hype. We We can fall into, oh, I've heard that rhetoric before. Friends, let us not speak rhetoric. Let us speak what the Spirit of God is saying. And the Spirit of God is saying, I'm about to move in the nation of America. And there's an invitation to excess what isn't visible. We have some resources over on the table. I know some of you grabbed them last night. Um, I'm not going to spend too long, but this is the main one I feel like is the key. This is, uh, Sean and I did a a co-teaching together. It's a USB. You plug it into your computer. You can download it. We tell everyone to give it away. We purposely don't put a copyright on this stuff because we want as many people to be discipled by it as possible. Our goal is not revenue. Our goal is discipleship. There's a big difference between that. Uh, releasing the supernatural. 
And this is really what I'm talking about. This is what I'm highlighting. I'm, I, I hesitated for a moment because I was like, Jesus, I don't want to interrupt with a product promo. And I heard the Lord say, no, this is an equipping that complements what I'm already doing. If you want uh, the supernatural to be released in your life, um, there is 14 teachings, actually 15, excuse me, teachings that are available on this. And it's about probably 14 hours worth of teaching on how to activate the supernatural in your life, how to be challenged, inspired, encounter God for the more. Amen. That's all I'll spend on that. There's some more resources that are available. Um, but I, I have a word this morning um, that I feel like the Lord wants to, wants to release to this region because just like last night, and I believe every speaker, there is a portion that God wants to instill into each of us. I believe there is. Uh, Sean said, you know, last night we, we, we grabbed, uh, we brought spoons. Sorry, I'm getting my timer ready because I don't want to speak to you guys too long and bore you. But... Um, Oh, that was nice. Someone just said, okay. Well, okay then. <laughs> Sean said last night, I know that we come a lot of times with spoons. And this is probably, you know, preaching to the choir because I know y'all are spoon people in the sense of you're ready to get fed. And then we talked about you got a shovel. But can I, can I propose that I want you to get your, your knife and your fork out too? Um, I want you to have your full cutlery in the spirit. And the reason I want that is because I want some things to get digested this morning. I want some things to get cut open. And I want some, uh, I want some heavy eating. You know, you can, you can take a spoon and do some yogurt. But when you got some steak, right, you've got to have a fork and a knife. And so uh, my prayer is that this weekend is full of some meat for all of you. Um, we don't want you just to be spoon fed. We want some like holy red meat steak. I know there's a lot of meat going on around here. We got some, I know, on the grills for later, but I, but I believe there's a portion uh, to digest today. Amen? Yes, Holy Spirit. Uh, I hear the Lord saying, I need to sow in some testimonies uh, of what we're seeing right now. We're, we're seeing unprecedented things. I heard the Lord, uh, as I was flying here from California yesterday, I heard the Lord say this statement in the air, and he said, this is the hour of the unprecedented. This is the hour of seeing things we've never seen before. So if you are looking for a reference, uh, it doesn't exist uh, because we're about to see things that haven't happened. Uh, and, and, and I believe, uh, just sewing in a couple testimonies to reiterate that point, and that is this. Sean and I were in Miami, and we were ministering with Rich Wilkerson Sr. at Trinity Church in Miami. And there was a gentleman, amazing man of God, him and his wife run the Dream Center Miami. And they're just doing incredible work, feeding the homeless, uh, going after the addicted, seeing powerful transformation. Just a mighty, mighty couple doing things for God. He got diagnosed in 2020 with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. You and I know that's a death sentence in the natural. Uh, and there's no current cure for it in the natural, in the medical world. And, and it, obviously his wife was distraught. He was shook. And he already had gone through about 75% of the testing. There was already medical verification that they found ALS in his body, whatnot. And there was just a, a, a holy anger that rose up in Sean and I that are like, oh, heck no. Like, oh, heck no. Like, no, no, you're not like taking care of the poor and the homeless and addicted. And then the devil's going to try to put ALS on you. Oh, heck no. And the pastor, of course, was in full agreement. He, of course, this man of God, he was, he was right there with us. I mean, there was, there was faith in the house for this. We prophesied and we prayed over him. And the Lord said, prophesy over his future because I'm not done yet. 
right? Because when you get a diagnosis like that, so many times you, you get your thinking really short term. And I felt like the Lord says, break that thinking of short term thinking and, 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 and speak to the decades that are ahead. Prophesy to the decades. So I felt like, okay, Lord, so I just start prophesying over this man intentionally over the decades of what I saw the Lord still had yet to do. Sean and I prayed, prophesied, the whole church rallied around this man. That was Sunday night. On Wednesday, he went back for that final test of ALS. The doctor came back in the room and he said, sir, there is no ALS in your body. You are totally and completely healed. He goes, come on. He goes, I can't explain it. I don't know what to do with the previous test. All I can tell you, sir, is I've never seen this before. But you don't have ALS. We're going to remove that out of your record. I want you to know we're going to see things we've never seen before. There's no such thing as a death sentence. When Jesus is in the equation, he's always this, the cure, always the answer. It does not exist any other way. That same meeting, Sean called out a word of knowledge for Graves' disease. We found out the ex uh, executive pastor of that church had been dealing with Graves' disease, and her quality of life had been significantly affected. The amount of pain in her body, she, was really, she had to have people help her get out of bed in the morning. I mean, she was not moving well. And she stood up like she had many times to believe for healing. And Jesus in his kindness came. And one of the symptoms she knew, excuse me, one of the symptoms she had been fighting, she hadn't been able to cry in two years because it affects and closes your tear ducts. As soon as Jesus touched her, what did she do? She began to cry. And tears are streaming down her face. And she's saying, I think I'm healed. I think Jesus just touched me. Again, she goes back to the doctor because, again, there's no cure in the medical world. But there is a cure, and his name is Jesus. She goes back to the doctors, and the doctors say, we can't explain it. We don't know why this has happened. But you don't have Graves' disease anymore. You're totally healed. We're going to remove that diagnosis off of you. Third and final testimony. We prayed a couple years ago, I believe about a year and a half ago, for a young man, Osmond, autistic, in the medical world, on the spectrum of autism, in the educational system, on the spectrum of autism. It's quite a process of paperwork for that to be established. Anyone that knows that world knows that's pretty significant. We pray for this young man. The parents are believing for healing. We go back a year later, and they tell us. They come running up to us. And we didn't even recognize this young man because when we prayed for him, he had all those classic spectrum behavior. No eye contact, just not overly verbal. And he came up to us, and he was praising God, front row of the children's choir. And we're like, oh, is that husband? We're just like so confused, but in great God confusion. And Sean and I just get wrecked. Because we're seeing God heal autism. 
they went back to the doctors and even in the medical community and in the education system. My mom was a special education teacher, so I know firsthand hand, the amount of paperwork and how difficult it is to convince <laughs> the educational system. Once you get deemed on the spectrum, it is so hard to get that removed. But God, because God will not allow a diagnosis or a label to be stuck to you if it's not what he's ordained. And God did not ordain autism. And so this young man, the parents came up to us, they said, we noticed an immediate difference with his behavior and things totally shifted. We went back to the doctor and the doctor ran all the tests and deemed him not on the spectrum. We then took those test results, went to the educational system, went to the school system. They too ran all the gamut of testing and they too have deemed him completely off the spectrum. He's no longer in special school, special class. He's in the full traditional classroom setting and is thriving, is thriving. Why am I sharing testimonies? Because I believe it's sowing into the unprecedented of what we have seen. Friends, I believe we're in an hour where God is doing things like we've never seen before. And if we're not careful, we can hear that statement and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah but we still want God to do it his way. We still get in our little comfort zone, our little box. Can I petition, can I urge, can I even beg you to get out of our box and allow God to be God that he really is the God of the impossible. I keep asking Jesus, Lord, I keep hearing you say, you're gonna do things you've never done before. But can you show me what that looks like? And I always feel the laughter of my father. He's like, I'm going to surprise you. Krista, you love surprises, which I do. I love surprises. Like, I get so stoked if I'm surprised. And God's like, I know how much you love surprises. I want this to be the greatest surprise of your life. So there's an expectation within me every time we come into the presence of God. Oh, God, what are you going to do this time? It's going to be things I've never seen before. I want us to dive into the word this morning because I feel like there's a portion. The Lord started talking to me about a month ago. I was flying across the U.S. because Sean and I, we travel. And we were in the plains a lot. And about maybe six weeks ago, I was flying across America and I heard the inward audible voice of the Lord. It was like a shout within me. And he said, resurrection power is in the land. And it was like, all of a sudden I came to full attention. And then the Lord said, study Lazarus. I'm going to read just parts of this portion of scripture. I'm going to start in John 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm not going to read every portion of Scripture. I'm going to give you a little bit of the ESB and highlight to catch the essence of what I believe God is saying. But it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. 
He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, his sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Say two days. Let's skip to verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Say four days. Verse 19, many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying and everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die do you believe this Martha and she says yes Lord she told him I've always believed you're the Messiah the son of God the one who's come into the world from God and then she returned to Mary she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher's here and wants to see you so Mary immediately went to Jesus verse 32 when Mary arrived and saw Jesus she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, with, with, wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. And where have you put him? Jesus asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus shouted in verse, verse 43, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Woo, let him go. Devil, you have no authority, let him go. Death, you don't have the final say, let him go. The enemy doesn't win, let him go. See, when I read this portion of scripture, when the Lord spoke to me, about six weeks ago when I heard such that strong unction of the Holy Spirit saying resurrection power is in the land. Meaning we're going to see things we've never seen before. Meaning there are things that look dead in the natural, but like Jesus said, it's only sleeping. But there's an awakening that's happened in the church, which we know, which we've seen. Oh, but friends, we're just getting started. We haven't even tapped into even, I believe, that beginning stages of what God's really about to do. I feel like we're in the percolation moment where we're beginning to see kind of those bubbles come to the boiling point. And then there's the pouring over and then there's the more than enough. See, I believe it's such a picture, this story of Lazarus. Remember how I said that Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick. They sent word to him and they ran and they sent the message to Jesus. And why did they do that? Because they had seen Jesus heal before. They knew the source to go to. See, Lazarus was in need. He was sick. He was in his deathbed. They knew it was a 911 situation. It was an urgent situation. There was nothing the medical world could do. 
See, in North America, America has, has dealt so heavily on the medical community. I'm not dissing doctors or the medical system, but I am saying the great physician is wanting to be reestablished of our true healer. I, I believe for too long in America, we haven't seen the healing revival that we ought to have seen because we've been so dependent on a false system. But God is breaking a false system because we've seen in the past hour, they can't do it. They don't have the answer, but Jesus does. See, I believe he's breaking down a stronghold. That was necessary for healing revival to break through in America. See, when you're so dependent on the medical community, you're not desperate for the great physician. But when the medical community fails you, you get more desperate for the great physician. See, I believe we're in this moment, in this hour, very much like this picture of Lazarus. There's a picture of a man that is fighting for his life. His sisters, because they love him, send word to Jesus knowing if he can get there in time, their brother can be saved. So they send word to Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't respond how you and I would expect him to respond. When he gets the word, he hears the report of the father. We don't know if he shared that report with anyone else, but we do know in scripture that Jesus heard the Lord Father say to him, the son, this will be used for my glory. This will not end in Lazarus' death. So he hears the crisis. And as he hears the crisis, he gets the report of the father. And hearing the report of the father, he stays put. He doesn't go running to the crisis. Doesn't that feel counterintuitive to how you and I feel like we're supposed to respond? See, I believe we're in an hour where God's like, stop living out of obligation and start living by my spirit. I think so many of us feel like we should be stressed out, should have the drama in our lives, should have the problems, should have the obstacles, because it doesn't feel normal to be at peace in the midst of the crisis. But God is saying, I've called you to be led by my spirit, not by the natural. So they run to Jesus and Jesus in his loving kindness is giving an illustration that they don't necessarily want to learn. Sound familiar? That Jesus is showing us the posture that's available in the midst of crisis. Selah. Jesus is showing us. Let me say that. I just felt like the Lord goes, let that sink in. Jesus is showing us what our response is to be in the midst of crisis. What did he do? He waited on the Father. He listened to the report of the Father. And as he listened to the report of the Father, he knew he was to stay and not go. He stayed two more days. So by the time he decided to go and come to the crisis, friends, as we read in scripture, it was four days past the initial moment where he received the word. It was two days he waited in a two-day journey, making four days. I believe there's some people in this room where you've allowed the delays of God, what looks like a delay, to be interpreted as a denial. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Delay is not denial. 
Come on, America. Delay is not denial. Come on, Illinois. Delay is not denial. Come on, over your family, over your life, over your marriage, over your kids. Delay is not denial. You're like, Lord, I sent word to you. I petitioned. I fasted. I prayed. Where's my breakthrough? God's like, it will be for my glory. And I know the timing for the fullness of my glory. As you stand in the midst of the delay, the enemy wants to come in there and redefine the character of Jesus. It is in the delays, friends. We have to know who our God is because you can view delay as rejection when it's actually for his glory. I believe we're in an hour where it looks like there might be some delay that's happened in your life in this last season. And some of you have just been weary because you've been running to the crisis. You're exhausted because you've given so much emotional, mental, real estate to the crisis. And God says, if you just stayed and listened to my voice and stayed in the posture of waiting, you wouldn't be as worn out. See, I believe there's a posture that we're having to get back to. And the posture is just like Jesus. I don't know about you, but uh, my husband tells me I have a pit bull anointing. (laughs) Which means if God told me he is going to do something, you you can't move me from it. I mean, I literally, almost to a fault, I mean, you cannot convince me otherwise. And it comes out in other ways too, maybe. I'm just saying. Where I'm just like, no, this is what God said. And I mean, I'm just holding on to it. So because of my because of my natural humanity, if I happen to be one of the disciples in that situation, I'll just be honest and tell on myself. I probably would have heard the crisis. I would have heard the situation. I know how much Jesus loves Lazarus. I've been there. I've observed it. I know the intimacy. This is like his bro. This is family. This is his brother. I know he loves them so much. So I know his heart and I know his intention, right? So if I saw the whole situation unfold, the messenger brings the word and Jesus sits there in my opinion, in my perception, uh, because I have the pit bull anointing. This is the unsanctified version of it, okay? So I would walk up to Jesus, and I'd be like, so are you ready to go? Because we, I, I, can, I can, you know, administrate this for you if you need me to help you with this. Because I, I can help everyone get packed up, get on the road. Jesus, we need to get in route because it sounds like it's a crisis situation. Mary and Martha would have never had a messenger sin if it wasn't crisis situation, right? And Jesus would have, been, would have said, we're going to stay. And I'm like, wow, wow, bold, bold, Jesus. That is so bold. <laughs> and I would have walked away going, okay, we're staying, okay? And I, I, I would have had a choice of how I conclude Jesus' heart in that moment. I wake up the next morning because I'm still in the pit bull anointing. We're still there. The crisis is still happening. We're in the midst of it. I, I know me. I would go to Jesus again, 100% accurate. I'm just telling on myself, 100% accurate. Are you ready to go now? Because um, 
I just feel like you've waited 24 hours. Great, you've proved your point. Um, we, ne we need to get going because the crisis is still happening. I know your heart for them. Do you need me to help you make this happen? Uh, because I can get everyone packed up in 15. I, I can go get gas in the car like we out. Like I'm ready for this, right? And Jesus is like, we're waiting. The next day comes. And as he sees me coming for the third day, He's like, we're going now. And I'm like, it's a little too little too late. If I'm honest, I mean, we got a two-day journey ahead. Like, bro, this is like four days post messenger. Like, I feel awkward showing up now if I'm honest, right? I mean, let's just bring up modern day, right? So, so we're walking into town and I'm like kind of hanging my head, right? Because I'm like, oh, we're four days late. It's so embarrassing, right? They're going to be so mad. I'm anticipating the grief. I'm anticipating the anger from the sisters, from the family members, right? I'm anticipating what's going to happen. I'm anticipating all the negative fallout relationally because we didn't come running, because we didn't do what was expected, because I, we weren't living out of obligation. We were following the model of Jesus, but I was really uncomfortable with it. But I'm doing it, but I'm not enjoying it. Anyone relate? Just be honest. And all of a sudden, like the worst case scenario in my head, being a disciple, happens. Martha comes running up to Jesus. We just read it in John 11. And she's like, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I'm like, oh, true. <laughs> it's pretty accurate. Right? And I'm like, I'm... I'm feeling awkward at the conversation. And then Jesus again does something unexpected. He says, Martha. He goes, I'm the resurrection. No one ever, ever, ever dies. Do you believe that, Martha? And he starts explaining who he is and asking her questions like, do you know who I am? Do you believe me, Martha? She's like, yeah, 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 I believe you. Everyone's going to be, you know, raised up in the last day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not getting it. She's not understanding the moment. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's like, I'm going to go get my other sister now. Right? And I'm sitting there as a disciple observing this. And I'm like, oh, great. Now the other one. Like, I can tell Martha was ticked. She got, you know, I just imagine her hand on her hip. You know, she just got a little bit of attitude. She's angry. She's grieving. Her brother's dead. I mean, it's a, it's a crisis, grievous situation. You have to understand, before we get to Mary... Jesus didn't even show up for the funeral. He didn't even show up to say words of comfort, of to share nice memories at the memorial. He didn't help with like the wrapping of the body. He, he wasn't there to participate in any of the grief. He shows up post-burial. This is one of their best friends. This is inner circle level. This is an acquaintance. This is like family. Jesus, Lazarus, is on his deathbed. Jesus, this will not end in death. But this will be used for the glory of God. And Jesus shows up on the scene. Post-mourning, post-burial. He's already in the grave. It's been four days. The day the message was sent out was the day he died. It was already late upon receiving the message. 
let alone four days after. I want you to catch the dire of this situation. I want you to catch how offensive this situation is to our mind. I want us to realize how offensive it is to our Western way of how we box Jesus in. Some of us have been so offended in this past season because of our loss, because of pain, because of trauma. We've had these little funerals, these little memorials for loss. And we're offended Jesus didn't show up. But Jesus is like, I'm not showing up to something that isn't dead. We're having premature funerals. We're grieving unnecessarily. Are you catching this? We're grieving things that God says haven't died. Some of us are like, where are you, Jesus? He's like, oh, I'm en route, but I'm not showing up to that. Why would I grieve something I'm about to bring life to? Why would I bury something that has resurrection power on it? Why would I go through all the procession, the tears? Why would I go through all that if I know what I'm going to bring to that? And we're so offended because we're so Western in our thinking. God, you didn't do it this way. Insert Mary. Mary comes and it says she fell at the feet of Jesus. And they had the exact same conversation. She says exactly what her sister Martha said. She said, Jesus, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And instead of a lecture, instead of Jesus explaining that he was resurrection power, instead of him asking questions, do you believe this? He just simply says to Mary, where, where have you laid him? And in that, they take him to Lazarus. And upon arrival... He does something no one expects. Martha again interjects, which we didn't read this because I gave you the ESPN version, but if you read the entirety, she says, it's been four days, it's stinky. Do you think Jesus is afraid of a little stench? Do Do you think God's afraid of a mess? I think sometimes God allows things to be a bit messy so that he gets the full glory. Because it wasn't a man, a person, a ministry, an intercessor, a pastor, a leader that could get any of the credit. Because once Lazarus went into the tomb, everyone's faith was removed from the situation of a possibility of him being healed. See, everyone could believe for healing as long as Lazarus had breath in his body. As long as Lazarus was breathing, had some sort of life source in his body, they could believe for healing because they had seen healing. But they couldn't believe for anything that they hadn't seen. They didn't even know resurrection power was on the table. They didn't even know it was available. So as soon as Lazarus was breathing his last breath, all of a sudden, everyone's like, we out. We're done. Now we're in funeral morning mode. And Jesus comes to the equation and says, Lazarus, come out. And we always laugh that he had to specify because there might have been multiple bodies. So he's like, that one, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Lazarus comes out and there's resurrection power. 
See, I believe so many of us in the midst of the delay have felt rejected or forgotten by God and nothing could be further from the truth. I want to prophesy over your family, over your destiny, over your state, come on, over your region, over your marriage, that delay is not denial. And I believe we serve a four-day dead God. Nothing is too dead for our God. I believe we serve a God that can come into the most impossible of situations. And bring resurrection power. See, I believe so much of this story, as powerful as it is, that Lazarus was resurrected. You actually find the answer of why and how resurrection power was accessed. I don't know about you, but I want that tool. How do you access the resurrection power? We find it in Luke 10. See, I just broke down the whole John 11, which is where Lazarus dies. But at the end of John 11, there was two conversations between both Mary and Martha. And it's in those conversations that we find they have the exact same interaction with Jesus. But they get two very different answers. Martha gets a lecture about who Jesus is. And Mary gets a resurrection it's Lazarus. Lecture or Lazarus? Which one do you want? Absolutely. But why? Why did Mary, how did Mary access resurrection power? Why was she able to come to Jesus and Jesus said, where is he? Why the difference? You find the answer in Luke 10. I'm going to read in verse 38. Through 42. This is when Jesus, let me give you a backdrop. Jesus comes to town. He's looking for a place to gather people, to, t- to minister, to teach, to impart. And Martha opens up her home to Jesus. So insert verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening. Say the word listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Say distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. It's never good when Jesus says your, your name twice. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. See, it's one thing to welcome Jesus into your home. It's another thing to welcome what he came to do. Martha loved the idea of having Jesus in her home. But she missed the moment. Instead of hosting his presence, she was hosting on a hospitality level. She was trying to host a menu. She was trying to feed him a meal. She was trying to do things that were really good, but it wasn't the purpose of the moment. Now catch this. I believe God is saying in this hour, just because it was good in the last season doesn't mean you're to carry it into the new season. See, everything Martha was doing was trying to honor her guest. She was trying to provide a good meal, have clean sheets on the bed. She was trying to be a good host, but that wasn't the purpose of the moment. See, so many times we can walk into the familiarity of the presence of God, even in our quiet time, even in church services, even in GGG gatherings, even on Sunday service, whatever it may be. We come in and we think it's business as usual. 
Friends, we are not in a business as usual moment in our nation. We're not in a business as usual moment in our relationship with Jesus. I believe Jesus is saying, can you come and sit at my feet? Can you come and listen? Now that word listen in Luke 10, when you study the original, it actually means to give rapt attention. Uninterrupted attention. Second meaning is to absorb What that means is Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she absorbed what Jesus was teaching. She was absorbing he was the resurrection power. She was absorbing that he was a healer. She was absorbing who he was because she was sitting there recognizing the significance of the moment wasn't doing preparations in the kitchen. It was hosting the presence of Jesus. It was absorbing what he was pouring out. See, I believe 2020 allowed us to strip back distractions, but if we're not careful in 2021, we're going to pick back up those distractions, the things that have been stripped away. And God is saying, be careful what you pick back up. Don't get distracted in the kitchen when I'm in the living room pouring out. See, Mary has this posture where she's listening. She's absorbing. This happened. Luke 10 happened before John 11 chronologically. So this moment of impartation is being received before the storm comes into their life. Do you think it's by accident Jesus came to their house? Of course not. Jesus intentionally came to their house because he knew there had to be an impartation of resurrection power. Because he knew. He knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. So what does he do? He comes intentionally to pour out. Mary's absorbing. Mary's absorbing. She's getting the full lesson. And then John 11 takes place. And Lazarus is fighting for his life. He dies. He gets buried. Jesus comes. And two conversations by the two sisters happen. And Martha comes out first again. Remember, she's, she kind of had an attitude with Jesus in, in Luke 10. She has an attitude again. She says, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he gives her the lecture. He says, I'm resurrection power. Why is that so significant? Because she missed class that day in Luke 10. She missed the impartation. So he's basically doing a catch-up course to catch her up because she was supposed to already have a deposit in this season for what's around for the next season. Because if you miss the impartation of this season, you're not going to have the anchor point for this season. Friends, you got to get to the feet of Jesus. We're wondering why we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off going, I'm so stressed out. I'm, 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 I'm so worn out. I'm so exhausted. Have you come to the feet of Jesus and absorbed who he is? So here's Martha. She doesn't get it again. She's getting a catch-up course. She's getting a review that she should have already had the impartation, but the deposit was not made because she missed it. She was in the kitchen. She was distracted. One translation actually says, which is different than the one I just read, it says both were sitting at the feet of Jesus, and then Martha got distracted, and then she got up. There's power in the lingering. So she comes, and then she goes, gets Mary, and then Mary comes, and she falls at his feet. Notice her posture. Notice the difference between these two women's posture. One comes and stands, 
and one comes at his feet. Where did Mary absorb who Jesus, who Jesus was? Who's he's imparting in Luke 10? At his feet. She went back to the exact posture and position that she had already absorbed the deposit. And she said, Jesus, had you been here? She's saying, because I know who you are. She came out of worship. She came in humility. She said, had you been here? He said, where have you laid him? See, one got a lecture and one got her brother. And the only difference between those two women was one was distracted and one was at his feet. Friends, I came here today to tell you we got to get to his feet. There's an impartation that's happening with the presence of God right now in this hour, in this moment, that can only be received as we wait at the feet of Jesus. It's not found in the doing, in the busy. And yes, I know, things have to get done. My to-do list is very long right now. And yet I recognize I cannot do anything outside of what I receive from him. In an hour, in a time where there is such a battle for hope and even perspective, the only place you're going to know the bigness of our God and what God is decreeing and declaring in that situation, in that moment, in that hour is found at his feet. See, so many of us love the idea of resurrection power. It's like, oh, that sounds exciting. It's shiny. It's pretty. It sounds so glamorous. Friends, things have to die in order for there to be resurrection power. Some of us have been grieving things because we're like, they're dead. That doesn't mean God's not going to come through and resurrect it. But what I love is Lazarus wasn't resurrected to be the same man he was before he died. Can you imagine what kind of ministry Lazarus had post-resurrection? Can you imagine the authority and the identity that Lazarus walked in post-resurrection? He went in the grave one way, but can you imagine what he came out like? We don't know in scripture. It doesn't talk about it, but I just imagine you can't stay the same after being dead. You've had a full funeral about you. You've been dead four days. There's no life source. And all of a sudden it's, you're going to be different. What's going to be resurrected isn't what went in the grave. What's going to be resurrected is God's design, God's authority, God's identity in the situation in you. I think we're looking for things to be as though they were, and God's like, I've got a plan that is so much greater, so much higher. We're looking back, and we're glamorizing what was. And I believe, like my husband said last night, if it's not resurrection power, if it's not revival, if it's not reformation, if it's not transformation, I don't want to go back to that. I have no interest in that. We've given our lives for revival, like it's revival or nothing. 
Like there is no plan B in the Smith home. Like we literally have, we've taken communion together. We've just said, Jesus, like we recommit. We, we do this regularly. We recommit our lives to you, Jesus. Like we're all in, like whatever the price, we're all in. Like we, we want to be living sacrifices for the reward of the, the suffering of the lamb. Like our lives, God, let them be a reward for you. Like, that's the cry. That's, that's, the, that's the cry of this hour. I believe there, and, and, and I pl- trust me, I'm, I'm in this journey with you. I'm not nailing this per se myself. I, like, as I preach, I, I feel things in my own heart where I'm like, oh, I've been distracted with that. Like, even as I'm preaching, God and his kindness is putting his hand on certain things in my heart. You know what I mean? Like, just because you have a microphone in your hand doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It just means we're just humbly going, okay, Jesus, just work, work your salvation out in me. Like, work out your character within me. Like, work out your word within me. So I don't know about you, but I'm going to invite someone from the worship team or the whole worship team, however you, want, however you all want to do it. But I do believe there's an invitation to break off distraction and busyness. And come again to the feet of Jesus. It's like God gave us a taste of that in 2020. But some of us were so stressed out and afraid, we missed the moment to be at his feet. Because we were running around frantically like, how is it all going to work out? God's like, come to my feet and I'll tell you. I'll tell you who I am. That's how it's going to work out. I'll tell you the bigness that I am. That's how that's going to work out. I just believe there's an invitation to be a Mary. And I'm probably more naturally Martha than Mary. But I recognize I literally cannot do anything without being at his feet. The unprecedented. The unprecedented miracles of God. The resurrection power of Jesus. What in your life do you need to bring to the feet this morning? What in your life has gotten really big where God has gotten small? What in your life have you been distracted with? What in your life have you lost perspective? What in your life have you gotten offended at? Because you're like, Jesus, you didn't show up. This was a really hard situation. Where were you? God's like, oh, I'm there. But I'm not going to participate in grieving because I told you I'm going to come through. So it's not time to grieve. It's time to praise and worship. I think some of us need to change our declaration, change the decree that's coming out of our mouth. Because there's power and life in our mouth. And I know we hear that, but friends, it's never been more important what you decree and declare with your mouth in this hour. I just want you to take a personal inventory. Sean and I are just going to ask Holy Spirit what he wants to do, and we'll just see what Holy Spirit wants to do. But I feel like there's such an invitation, and it can be at your chair. It can be up here at the altar. There's no right or wrong way to respond. I don't want to facilitate your response for you. I don't know about you. I get a little tired of that. Not in a negative way, but I just want people to be compelled by Jesus. So what does that look like for you? What's, what's your response to Jesus look like in just an invitation to come to his feet? 
I don't know if the worship team's available just to sing over us. But I just want to take a moment of response because, again, I just believe there's just an impartation this morning for distraction to be broken, for busyness, that addiction to busyness to be broken. That we view in America, the busier you are, the more successful you are. Not true. You're just busy. (laughs) More is not better. More is just more. So come to his feet. Let there be a divine exchange this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor over all of you and your families. And remember, we love you more.